Hi, well, welcome. Um, Sparkers, thank you so much for joining us. And what we'd just like to start with our introduction here of our evening together is that I'd like to say that as the pastor of this church, um, and we were talking with some new friends yesterday about sort of why we started Spark and how it started and what we did with all that, which Kelly and Jesse, uh, long before the littles were here, actually, we had this wonderful conversation about Spark before really it even started over sushi just a couple miles away. And one of the things we were talking about was that when we started Spark, in many ways, um, it was a hope, but also a question. And the question was, are there people here in the area that deeply love God or are asking questions about whether or not they want to think about loving God? And then would there be a community of people that would come together uh, surrounded by these five core values that we can find in our story, as we talked about last week, um, that would want to try to do this life together. And whenever you start a church or you start a community or any enterprise here in Silicon Valley, Bay Area, or anywhere, it's a bit entrepreneurial. I think it's like one out of every two restaurants fails, right? And I think the same statistic is true for churches. Churches that serve Chinese food, I think your success rate's higher, but... Um, but it's also just a question and we kind of started it with a group of amazing friends and colleagues and people came around and all of you are the answer to that question. And in particular, even the type of conversation we have can have tonight is the answer to that question. Um, that the people who are interested in this, all of you, all y'all here in this room and up here are fascinating. And that was one of the most joyous surprises of who all would come was that God would start to bring people who were asking big questions, um, holding tension for the answers, um, deep, uh, wonderful lovers of God and of people, where sometimes I think we can find one and not the other, and finding a way to try to build a community together. Now, as that community has grown and taken shape, we've had the privilege of having conversations with all of you in this room, and all of you are doing creative work. Whether you're in the service industry and having conversations um, and remembering everyone's order, like Pastor Tony in the back, um, or if you, and that is creative, beautiful work, questions and, and how to have those conversations, or whether you are engineer and software developer and all of those other things that marketing and sales and things that happen and make uh, the whole community of Silicon Valley buzz. But all of the services that go along with that in the medical profession and education. And now we have also authors in our community, people that take their creative entity to build and, and create and speak into this world beautiful stories and stories that we can learn from and dive into and get lost in and then um, find out a little bit more about ourselves in it. So I'm super excited that whenever any one of you develops or creates anything beautiful, we've always said Spark will take the shape of the people that come here and put their fingers on it, right? Where we all start to build this beautiful thing together. We still have our olive tree outside that Tony is the faithful waterer of our olive tree that we all planted together here and as we continue to grow. Um, so here are two of the voices that are here tonight with Kelly Loy Gilbert and Lindsay Lackey, and we are super excited to welcome them. So Please, Sparkers, welcome your Sparkers. Now, I'm sure all of you would feel like if all of a sudden I said, tell me about your software engineering project and had you come up here and sit up on stage, 
Um, you would also feel a little bit on the spot, right, on the pastor stage and, uh, or, or the bima, if, as the case may be for the synagogue here. And, um, and now tell us all the beautiful things about how you create work and art in this world and change the world and make it go round by your creativity. But I've had the privilege of reading work by both of these incredible authors, and I hope you will get to do the same. So we want to start with just, hi, how are you? Hi. <laughs> And can you start by telling us what you write? Um, so I write primarily fiction. And my first book, which was called Conviction, came out in 2015. Um, and it was about a, a young baseball player who was growing up with a single father in the Central Valley. And um, his father was like a radio minister. And his whole life was kind of turned upside down when his father was accused of um, killing a police officer in what was maybe or maybe not an accident. And my second book, called Picture Us in the Light, thanks, um, just came out last month. And this one is set in Cupertino, which is where I grew up, so that was fun to write. And it's about um, a high school artist who, um, he's just been accepted to his dream art school, uh, the Rhode Island School of Design, and he's thrilled and everything seems great. Um, and his parents, who are immigrants from China, are like super thrilled, everything in their life is going great. Um, and then he uncovers a secret in their past that threatens to derail not only his future, but their whole futures as well. Um, and I would say my books explore the themes of um, often faith, um, family. Um, I'm always really interested in questions of redemption, um, social justice, and um, I'm always interested, I think, in creation and the different like guilts and burdens that people carry around and the connections between people both in the families that they have and the families that they create. Thank you. You should all read her books because they're amazing and you'll cry a lot. <laughs> um, uh, so I'm Lindsay and I am, I well, I'm confused is what I am. Okay, so I have a, I've written a middle grade novel but I just sold it in March. So it's coming out next fall. Um, so that one is called All the Impossible Things. It's for kids like 8 to 12 years old, but really it's for anyone because I really wrote it for me. <laughs> it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I cried like by page 11 and then persisted, but beautiful, beautiful, lovely. Tears. Yeah. She did text me the whole time she was crying through my book, so that was nice. <laughs> um, but All the Impossible Things is about a little girl. She's 11 going on 12, and she is in foster care in Colorado. And she's counting down the days until her mom is released from prison so that she can be reunited with her mom. That's all that she really wants. Um, and in the meantime, she keeps a journal of um, that was she started with her grandmother. It's a journal of things that sometimes feel impossible or, or people believed were impossible at one point, but they're not anymore. Um, so, for example, things like bumblebees, you know, they're not supposed to be able to fly. That's supposed to be impossible, but they do fly, and why is that? So she keeps this journal. She sort of collects impossible things as a way to, to hope um, that her mom will get better. Um, and be able to take care of her in the future. So, and she's living with a, a foster family that has a petting zoo that includes a, a donkey that dances and feeds chickens and a 400 pound tortoise that gets lost in a snowstorm. So that. There's more, but we'll let them read it when they, we'll have another party when the book comes out. Um, so for both of you then, I think, I, I don't know if there's people here who grew up reading fiction and when you grew up reading fiction, maybe there was one or two stories or authors that you grabbed hold of and started to shape you. Um, so when, 
when I hear them think about how they're writing, what they're writing, and that creative process, or when I get to read their work, I'm sort of taken back to being a kid again and starting to be shaped by story. And one of the stories that I think deeply shaped me early on that we've collectively sort of freaked out about in addition is A Wrinkle in Time by Madeline Langle. And if you've seen the movie, that's great, but you should read the book. And there is a button by the way, that I was going to get everybody who says uh, the book was better. And I think you should just wear that whenever you go see a film. I'm sure the film, it is beautiful, but the book was better. And one of the things that happened when, like, Lindsay and I first met this last year for the first time, she walked into the cafe, and we're just going to sit down. By the way, any of you, anytime you want coffee, just call me, and I will go meet in a good cafe. And she hands me these three books by Madeline LaIngle, um, which start, they're sort of commentaries on Genesis series and, and Exodus. Um, and it was good, a stone for a pillow and sold into Egypt. And she goes, oh, by the way, this is like her opening line to just sitting down at the cafe. Oh, by the way, I wrote the reader's guides to the back of these three books. At which point I like freak out. I'm like, are you kidding? You write the reader guide for Madeline Lingle? Do you like Madeline Lingle? I've read Madeline Lingle. I've read over like, I've all, like freak out every year in my family growing up. My mom and I would read this book out loud to one another from the time I was young until like through high school. And when my oldest daughter entered our home when she was 19 years old, um, I sat her down on her bed and said, you need to listen <laughs> and, and read aloud A Wrinkle in Time to her because I was like, this is what mothers and daughters do in our families. We read this book. Phoebe's a little young. I've already tried. <laughs> She's only four. I've decided it's best to wait for a little while longer. So uh, when I got home, I actually took a photo of my bookshelf in order to prove to Lindsay that I did like Madeline Engle and that I had, did have all these other books. So... One of the questions I wanted to ask you both was, when you were growing up, how did fiction or story take hold of you, and were there particular stories that shaped you in such a way that you still feel like those stories and the authors and their perspectives are walking around? Uh, Madeline Lingle is a good example because she was very deeply shaped by her faith, but also by a whole host of questions. And one, I, Madeline was interviewed at Fuller Theological Seminary um, not that long ago. In uh, 1997, doesn't feel long ago for me, actually, because I was out of college. Um, <clears throat> but she said that when she picked up Einstein, she read that anyone who's lo- who is not lost in rapturous awe at the power and glory of the mind behind the universe is as good as a burned-out candle. And she thought, I found my theologian. And that's when I began to read Einstein and Planck and the quantum theory. And so, Kelly, in the very, like, first two pages of Kelly's book, we start with quantum something, right, immediately. Um, and you, in all of that, I feel like your, your lives are being shaped by fiction and story and authors, but also but, but by more than that. So would you each take turns in talking about those influences of either faith or story or author or science or the beauty of creation and creative act in your work? Um, Well, for me, story is my earliest memory. When I was a baby, when I was a toddler, and I wouldn't be able to sleep or whatever growing up, um, my dad would come into my room and lie down on the bed with me, and I'd put my head on his big chest, and he would tell me stories. He would tell me stories, dragon stories. Um, that he would just make up. But I remember hearing the sound of his voice and his heartbeat as he was telling me these stories. So I kind of automatically associated story with life. <laughs> um, and I always go back to that, that for me, storytelling has just been such a huge part of my life. I can't imagine 
not <laughs> telling a story. I think even if I couldn't write or if I wasn't ever going to be published, I think I would still have to do it. Um, so some of the books that meant the most to me, um, I mean, I have a soft spot in my heart for dragons for that very reason. <laughs> um, but I also loved Madeline Lingle. My favorite of hers is actually A Ring of Endless Light because there's magic dolphins. You should all, all read the magic dolphins. Um, and... I had to write down my answers to this question because I knew I'd get up here and I'd forget. Sure. Um, oh, also, Voyage of the Dawn. I loved the Chronicles of Narnia series, but Voyage of the Dawn Treader was my favorite. Um, for this one scene in particular, there's this character who's a very un unlikable little boy. His name is Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserves that name. Um, and he has been turned into a dragon. Um, see? Soft spot for dragons. I didn't even make that connection until right now. <laughs> um, but he's been turned into a dragon, and he's got jewelry on him that's squeezing his, his arms and his paws very tightly, and he's very uncomfortable, and he's stuck as a dragon for a while, and he's very unhappy. And he ends up um, having this encounter with Aslan, the, the lion, who comes to him and... Uh, First, Clarence, or Eustace tries to tear off his own scales. He tries to shed his own skin um, to change from being a dragon. And finally, he admits that he can't do it because every time he does, those scales grow back. And so Aslan comes to him, and he lets Aslan use his big, scary lion claws and tear off the scales. And it really hurts, but because of that, he's transformed, and he, he's undragoned. And that scene, I love that scene. I feel like th there's been many times in my life where that scene has applied to my life. <laughs> and I feel, I'll have a moment and I'll think, wow, I'm being undragoned right now. Mm -hmm. I need to just let God do his work and, and stop fighting it. So, nice. I also grew up um, with books and story being such an important part of my childhood. Um, I read constantly. My mom is back there. She used to take us to the library regularly, and we would get like a milk crate full of books and bring them home and read them for the week. Um, and I can't honestly remember a time when I wasn't reading and also writing as a young child. Um, and I think um, I, I also have a really terrible memory for books. And so I think a lot of the things that tended to stand out for me and the stories that really stuck with me were moments that I found really... Um, upsetting or traumatic or something that sort of disturbed what I thought was supposed to be like the balance of the world. Um, I had, you know, a really sort of safe and happy childhood for the most part. And I think for a lot of sort of the more terrible things in the world that I learned about, books were sort of my first introduction to the fact that things could be as ugly as they are in the world when I was very small. Um, and so I have so many memories of these stories that kind of shook me out of complacency and sort of introduced me to things that I might not have encountered right away at a young age. Um, and I always remember those. And um, I also feel like writing and story have always been really intertwined with faith for me. Um, when I was younger and I sort of grew up in um, kind of a very evangelical, like a little bit fundamentalist church. And I think a lot of what I remember about faith from that age is it was so much about feeling certain. Um, I felt just extremely certain about all the answers. I felt very certain about everything I thought about God and just the way I thought about the world. Um, and I think the things that I were writing then sort of reflected that certainty. Um, and when I uh, was older and moved away for the first time and um, was at in sort of a different church environment, it was... 
I think maybe the first time that I sort of was faced with the reality of a world that didn't quite look the way I'd always sort of thought it had and sort of a God that maybe also didn't look the way that I thought he had. Um, And so I think then my writing at that time became a lot about asking questions, um, which is what I was, I think, also doing uh, just in my faith life as well. Um, And I think that's sort of still what drives a lot of my writing now is questioning and wondering and trying to tease out areas where I feel like I don't know or there's a lot of gray area or a lot of nuance. So you've answered it a little bit, but how has your faith journeys then, I think you've answered it like a little bit, shaped your writing or influenced your writing in, in all of that? I mean, you've spoken to the Aslan question, of, but there's something behind that, right? There's um, So I'll note for just for me the scene in um, Wrinkle in Time where Meg stands there and sort of demands that her brother come back to her, but through just deciding to love him, even when he's completely unlovable. That scene taught me from very early on that it felt like a person could stand in front of another person and pull them back from the edge, just with unconditional love and constantly reminding them who they are. And I honestly think it's one of the reasons why I'm a pastor, because I wanted to be a pastor very early on at age 13. It was that scene that would always sort of rumble around in me that really deeply felt like this is a possibility in this world that we're all supposed to be these stars that can sort of blot out a little bit of the darkness with our light and, and still try to find those, those moments. Now, in your book, you have a, a really wonderful conversation, Kelly, about or a moment about the starfish story, right? And sort of, and, and I loved that. I should mark it so we can read it for a moment. So think about that for a second. But Lindsay, you can answer the first question of sort of how have you found that you've, your faith shapes what you do? Because you're not either one of you writing explicitly Christian fiction or literature, right? It's not, they're not books you're going to find in a Christian bookstore. Um, but that similar to Madeline's work, right? That they're, they're very deeply influenced by your faith. So if you'd speak to that a little bit in your church home setting. Sure. Um, well, I grew up, I spent 25 years of my life at the same church, which doesn't happen too often anymore, um, a Baptist church in Colorado Springs. And I grew up with a pretty conservative Christian, very similar situation, um, kind of knowing all the answers. I did what was called Youth with a Mission, YWAM. After high school, I took a year off and did that. Um, And I think, looking back on my childhood, I think I had a wonderful childhood, and I'm really happy and blessed and, you know, I have no complaints, but also I look back spiritually and just see, it's funny how you can go from a place of like total assurance that you know what's right. And then as you grow to like, oh, I don't know anything. (laughs) Um, And yet somehow I feel like I have encountered God more in the not knowing and the admitting that I don't know and in in the doubt um, than I I ever did in the certainty that I felt. and so I think as I've, as I've grown in and just been okay with asking questions, that's really where, where books have, have aided me and challenged me because books let you into someone else's experience more than anything else. Um, I, think, I think books are the ultimate act of empathy. <laughs> Writing a book is such an act of empathy and, and discipline and hard work and also but reading a book is such an empathetic act because you're literally putting yourself inside the mind of someone else um they have poured out their heart and their beliefs and everything else into it but also the characters become their own people and so 
they ask questions that maybe even the author doesn't. I know that has happened in my book. <laughs> well, my characters have said things I totally didn't expect them to say and have taken me down um, questioning paths that I didn't expect. So I feel like I've learned so much empathy and comfort in doubt, I guess, through, through books. Um, I definitely, I don't feel like what I do is like ministry or anything like that, but I do feel like telling a story is like a moral act and there are ways to do it, um, in ways that I feel like would honor what I would want to do and what I would think God would want me to do with it. Um, I think it's really important, first of all, whose story you're telling, um, the lens you're using to tell it, you know, like, are you taking the side of someone who historically has had all the power and maybe been an oppressor? Are you taking the side of somebody who is the oppressed? Um, are you sort of providing an empathetic look? Are you, you know, what questions are you asking? What are you asking the audience to consider? Um, what are you bringing to their attention? And so I feel like that maybe sort of guides what I try to write about and what I'm interested in writing about. Um, and I feel that um, yeah, I guess in terms of like faith shaping writing, like that would be what I would hope to do is try to find stories that lift up, um, maybe people who might be overlooked or forgotten or, um, I guess asking people to question sort of maybe their own beliefs that might be hurtful to others or et cetera. Um, so things like that. Yeah. Very nice. Um, I have like 45 thoughts in my head as you guys are both sharing with all that. I, I think one of the things that Kelly does really well in her work is um, you how you work with the emotional life of your characters amazes me. The, the nuance of how and why they're doing what they're doing and, and maybe they're even coming to some awareness of what they're doing and all of that, as I'm reading it, I think, wow, this would have been really helpful for me to read as a high school student or college student to become more aware of my own emotional life, my own self-aware. Some of them are incredibly self-aware. Um, not all. Some are not. Some are not, right? That's the whole point of a good story. But um, some of the moments that they have are, are wild in their insights. And I think that that is a moral act, right, to provide voice to some of that um, in, in the community. I think, by the way, all of you, all of us in this room, are participating in our daily life, m Monday through Sunday, in moral acts. And whether it is through waking up and taking care of a spouse or um, an animal or your neighbor or kids or your job in your community or whatever it is, one of the reasons why when we started Spark, we sort of asked this question. People say, well, what, why did you, what do you hope for in starting it? Which also is a creative act. Um, I would say, I just want Jesus to be invited to the table. I would like the morality and the ethics of Jesus to be invited to the table here in Silicon Valley so that when somebody does create an app or they build a phone or they do any of their aspects or they, they work in medicine or they work in retail or whatever it is, they ask themselves, what would this look like? What would this, my, my life look like this year, this day, this moment, if it were informed with a, a desire to love God and love my neighbor and love my enemy? And how might that shift and change? So I, I can definitely see those echoes in um, both of your works of what, 
what choices people can make when they're asking the question of how they sort of honor the image of God and the other person, uh, whether or not they, they don't necessarily use that language, right? But, but that we're treating people with some level of humanity or shining a light on the fact that they're not being treated with humanity in that moment. By the way, if any of you have questions for the authors, you can pop up your hand and we'll dash on over and stick a microphone in front of your face and let you ask a question as well. Um, so do you feel any responsibility then to bring glory to God in your work? And we've answered it a little bit, but I would hope so. Um, I think that it's funny, somebody, I was doing an interview a couple of weeks ago and somebody asked me about, um, there's a line in the, in my newer book that, um, the main character, Daniel meets an artist and she tells him like, you have, um, you have one life to owe to you. <laughs> yes. I have it marked. Yeah. Um, she says you're, so they're talking about like sort of the sacrifices involved in doing art. Right. And so she says, you're going to have to choose to, you have to look at the world like you get one shot in it. And at the end, you're going to have to look back and see whether you said all you needed to say and gave it back to the world to hear, or if you just let that shrivel up inside you to die with you. And all of us have to make that choice. Yeah, so um, so she, the person saying this is an artist, and she's kind of given up the rest of her life to just pursue this art. And the interviewer was like, oh, so is that like you? Is that also how you shoot writing? And I was like, oh, no, not at all. Um, and I feel like what she said, I, I feel like I resonate with that, but I feel like kind of what you were saying about how there's so much dailiness to our lives, and those are choices that I think you can make in every moment. Um, and um, I have a friend who is also an author, and somebody asked her, would you consider yourself a feminist author? And she said, yes, because I would consider myself a feminist everything. Um, so I think I would feel the same way about that question um, that I would hope I do in the same way that I would hope that you know, when I'm with my kids, when I'm driving or whatever, that it would be hopefully part of something that God would be more happy than pissed about. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I, I feel similarly. I don't, I don't think I would ever pigeonhole myself as a Christian writer um, because I want to tell stories more broadly than those kinds of labels give, give us, you know. Um, but I think in my own work, I was just talking with a friend of mine the other day about this, and I, I do feel that I, I want to bring glory to God in my work. I don't feel like a burden to do it. Um, but I actually think that the way that I maybe bring glory to God in my work is that actually God meets me in my work. Um, and so I have no idea. I can't really control how anybody else is going to react to my work. So I have no idea if what I do will make other people say, wow, God, great. If it does, that would be awesome. But I have n no way to control that. But for me, I, there are moments when I'm writing where I feel like I encounter God, or rather he encounters me, um, that I don't expect. And for me, that's, I suppose that's, those are glory moments. You know, Madeline Lingle calls them glory moments. <laughs> um, and there, I definitely have these moments in my own writing that I feel like God shows up and, I learn something and I kind of take a step back and go, oh, okay, wow, I didn't know that this is where I was going with this. I didn't know that this character was going to say this thing or that this scene was going to happen. And But, okay, God, th thank you for that, first of all, because I feel like that was all God. Um, and so I, I think that maybe that's how I encounter glory in my writing. I, I hope that that will then shine through and that in the future other people reading it will see it. But it's sort of like, you know, if you go to Yosemite and you're not an outdoors person, you might look at 
the big pretty rocks and mountains and go, wow, that's cool. <laughs> or you might look at them and go, wow, God, you know, I see God in this, you know. And so not everybody encounters God in nature and other people do. And so I feel like that's the same with books. I can't write something that I know someone's going to encounter God. All I can do is, is try to find him in my own work. That's great. I think, um, you know, it's easy to point to writing and say, well, that's a creative act, right? Um, but there are creative acts all day long um, and all these moments all day long and how we um, attune to the presence of God in those moments is I, I've stopped praying that prayer like, God, please meet us here. I'm like, how about just make me aware of your presence, right? So that instead the, the switch isn't that all of a sudden God will come because I prayed, right? But that God's been here all along, right? This is the Moses prayer. Like he's just, he's there, he's walking in the desert, and then all of a sudden there's this bright shining bush that doesn't sort of burn up. And same with like Jacob in his place. And, and the prayer is like, wow, God was in this place and I did not know it. Um, so sort of becoming aware of, of God's presence in our work, in our daily life, and in those moments. Um, by the way, if you want a practical tool to do that more, it's called the um, practice of like the Ignatian prayer. And it's an examine prayer at the end of every day where you go back through your day mentally and you think about where did God show up um, in, in today? Was God in the coffee shop? Was God at that moment at the stoplight? Was God in this moment with my kids? How, did, how was God present? How did God meet me in all of these moments? Yeah. And Madeline Lingle talks about, by the way, I'm super obsessed with Madeline Lingle. So, for example, this is my, ooh, that's a lot of cards. And, and I promise not to read them all. But she talks about um, being a co-creator with God. She didn't see herself as a creator. She saw herself as a co-creator because God is in all creation, right? And um, so in those moments when you're co-creating with God, God shows up, and it's just a matter of whether or not you recognize where God is in it. So, and and, and any act is a create that's a creative act you're co-creating with God, whether you're singing or building an iPhone app or you know whatever it is. I, it's all these. If you see it as a co-creation, then you see God more in the nuances maybe than you would otherwise. Um. Can I ask you guys a practical question? So when I'm reading your books, both of you have areas where I just happen to know personally you may or may not have a lot of intimate knowledge of that particular area. So, but you've created a world that makes me feel like you're best friends with it. So when, you're, when you read their books, there's like conversation about Cupertino. Like I've never been to the Cupertino Library, but I can now imagine the Cupertino Library and I now want to go to it, assuming that there's a giant aquarium there. Is that like a true thing? Okay, great. So I'm going to have to go see that with my kid. Um, so there's descriptions of Cupertino, but then also of San Francisco and particular alleys of San Francisco or Hawaiian culture or particular aspects. And Colorado is where you've grown up, so there's a lot of that. But there's aspects where both of you, I think, wow, did Kelly get in her car and drive to San Francisco to think about this? Like when you're doing these creative acts, what kind of... Uh, practical research are you putting into place? And even the, some of the choices you make for your character. So can you tell everyone why we're having Chinese food and donuts today? <laughs> um, Danielle and Kevin asked if there were particular foods from the book, and the characters are Chinese, so they eat a lot of food that is Chinese. Slightly different region, but delicious anyways. And um, they also eat a lot of donuts. <laughs> so <laughs> that was the fun research. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think for me, I do research, I think, is like my favorite part of writing because it's like kind of procrastinating because you can just like lose yourself in like 
YouTube like rabbit holes, but you're like, no, it's for the book. This is like, I'm being productive. I have to eat 22 yeah. donuts I have to eat 22 for this donuts. book. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I draw a little bit on stuff I know, um, but I think I find it more fun to research new things. Um, I do a lot of online research, articles. Um, for something else I'm writing, the main character is a violinist, so I watched a ton of like YouTube like concertos, and um, I like learned like I didn't learn how to play a violin because I didn't have one in front of me, but I like watched tutorials on how to play a violin. Um, this main character is an artist, so I went to art museums. I read a lot of art theory, which was like totally over my head. Um, and I also did tutorials on like learning how to draw or how one would draw if they had artistic talent, which was not me. Um, and when I can, I talk to people who have knowledge in the subject matter, which is always really fun to be able to do. So you're stepping into other people's stories, like all this research. And back to your conversation about empathy, there's a bunch of um, science out about the more fiction you read, the more empathic you are as an individual. Uh, because you start to step into other, somebody else's story and try to see the world through. So just your mere act of writing, um, that creative act is a constant act of empathy in many ways of trying to get into somebody else's life and experience. Can I add one thing? Sorry. Um, it's actually been interesting too because um, lately in publishing, um, for so long, so many, like the vast majority of books that were written were written by white authors about white characters and they tended to be straight. They tended to be um, neurotypical. Um, they're often wealthy. And lately there's been a lot of conversation in publishing about representation and like which stories you're telling and who has the right to tell what stories and how to tell them responsibly. Um, and so that's kind of been another layer of research. I try to not write too far, I guess, outside of my lane, but there have been times when I have characters who have a different race than me or a different orientation. Um, and in those cases, I did a lot of research. I tried to talk to a lot of people. I had um, what are called sensitivity readers, where they're like an expert in sort of any sort of particular marginalization, and they'll read to make sure that things are being portrayed not in like a harmful way. Um, I read as much in those veins as I could. Um, so that's kind of another area of research that well, and, and both of your main characters in this book and the last book are both male. Mm -hmm. So it's not like, you know, you're only writing about teens yeah. that are female, right? So, yeah, it's, it's a different, different experience. wonderful, imaginative, creative work. Yeah, <laughs> go ahead. Um, my book is, a lot of it came, was inspired by personal experience in my life. Um, so the, the storyline about the little girl who's a foster child, um, my aunt and uncle when they had grown children and they had um, and their grown their grown children had kids, they had grandkids, they were empty nesters, you know, so they could have just sold everything and traveled the world if they wanted to, but um, they started fostering, and they one day my aunt was um, at the agency, and she looked across the room and she saw this little girl who was about three at the time, and just instantly she said she knew that that little girl was going to be her daughter someday. She just had this thought um, just upon seeing this child. And so that, that story, and sure enough, she ended up fostering that little girl, and they adopted her when she was five. So now she's 12 and almost 12, and she's, in, she's an amazing part of our family and life. And so that is really what inspired my, my book. Um, I didn't take any facts from my cousin's life at all outside of just that experience of someone seeing a child and knowing that that's my child. I'm going to love that child unconditionally. Um, 
So I guess research for me in that sense was a lot of talking to my aunt <laughs> and then a lot of research on foster care, foster care in Colorado, figuring out who is allowed to um, to be with a foster child if the parent isn't there. You know, there's lots of complicated things there, so I had to research that. Um, and then also the animals. I, I love animals, but I've never owned a donkey. I've never owned a 400-pound to- tortoise. Um, so I had to do some just fun research on that. That was kind of fun. Um, but I think the thing that was the most outside of my experience that I researched was one of my characters, um, the little girls. He turns into her best friend. He's Hawaiian. His family has relocated from Hawaii to Colorado. And so that was scary just because of what you were just talking about, representation and wanting to do it fairly. And um, but also knowing deep in my soul that this this kid is from Hawaii and there's a reason behind it, you know. So having to do all of that, the research for there and having readers and everything else, just like Kelly was talking about, is is really important. Um, so yeah, my my research was kind of all over the place, from very intimate to really re- needing other people's advice and and readers and doing tons and tons of research online and reading books and yeah. It is fun, and it's a good distraction, especially when you get to watch a lot of hula videos and a lot of how to make luau, you know, the foods and luau's. Oh, that was fun. It made me really hungry because I'm not a cook. I can't do any of it, but I watched a lot of videos. Well, are there? we have time for one last question, then we're going to invite... Yes. The question is, why did Kelly choose to have her main characters in each book differently be a male character? Um... The first one, um, so I'd written a lot of books before this or manuscripts that didn't get published. Um, and I would say I wrote probably slightly more often female characters. Um, and this happened to be the first two that were published. But um, the first one I was kind of interested in what would happen to someone who was um, growing up in a household where he had a single father, um, he had a brother, and he was kind of enmeshed in this sort of very like toxically like super male culture Um, and so I was interested in exploring what that would look like and how it would affect him and how it would affect his view of God. Um, He's the son of like a radio minister Um, and the second one I sort of had the idea for it while I was writing the first one and had sold it to my publisher um, during that process Um, and I don't know the character just came to me um and I had sort of started writing the book and it was flowing and it was going okay and then um that happened to be the next one I sold um so um kind of just individual choices for the books I guess and then the next one I'm writing is about a female character There'll be a whole family of characters from both of these women. They're amazing authors. Well, I know we've got a thousand more fun things we'd like to talk about. I would like to talk about a lot more. Um, In Kelly's books in particular, there's, um, I think, an authenticity of faith that is explored and amidst those questions. And um, I loved in the beginning, like the dedication, and at the end, you're talking about your kiddos, who we know personally, right? So I felt like, I, I know, I don't just know the author. I know the kids mentioned at the beginning and the end of the book. And and in, also in the acknowledgments at the end, you mentioned uh, some group text messaging in this church community, um, and how part of our, part of, I think, what I hear in your book so much is this idea of how do we explore this faith that we have, um, in the, all the complexities of that, when people feel certain and and are well intended in that certainty, um, but then also, uh, what do we do when we have big questions? And I'd like to ask so much more about that and about 
human trafficking and, and so much more. But we are unfortunately at the end of our time and we still have lots of Chinese food. So, or some at least. So what we'd like to do right now is we have a new Sparker family. It's joined us and I'm going to invite the mom of this Sparker family, Ruth, to come on up because as we were discussing um, this event, we said to Kelly and Lindsay, we'd like to sell your books and make them available to the congregation. And they came back with, well, we'd like that too, but we'd like the proceeds to go to the IRC, to the International Rescue Committee. And, um, and uh, guess what? Ruth, who just joined up with Spark, is a case manager for the IRC in San Jose. And so we are thrilled because, as you all, Sparkers, know we've been deeply concerned and active about the refugee issue for a long time. And now we have our very own case manager that we can talk to at the IRC. And she's got some exciting... She's going to tell you a little bit about their work and about some hopeful things we might be able to partner with in the near future. So as you buy their books this evening, if you're interested, you should know this is where the money is going to. So Ruth, take it away. First of all, thank you so much for you know, donating to the IRC. Um, yeah, it's a... Amazing organization that I'm really proud to be a part of. Um, it was established in uh, 1933 by the request of Albert Einstein, so it's been around for a long time. Um, it's worldwide in 40 different countries, and um, it's you know on the, on the ground 72 hours within, you know, if there's a crisis emergency situation, IRC is there. And they're doing everything from providing health care to... Um, you know, education and economic empowerment and uh, water and clean water and those kind of things. Um, so, and in the United States, we have about 28 different offices, and I work in San Jose, one of the, those offices, and um, we, in our office, um, as a case manager, we um, pick up people, you know, them when they arrive at the airports. We, you know, help them get, you know, on, uh, get government benefits like food stamps and um, cash assistance. And uh, we have a great economic empowerment team that helps them find jobs. Um, over 90% of uh, the refugees that come in are employed within the first 90 to 120 days, which is um, fantastic. Um, so they're you're working on um, helping them be self-sufficient, um, which, you know, in this area, you know, is there's a steep uh, curve to that. Um, so, you know, some of the, the issues that we always face is trying to find housing for them. Um, and um, so trying to find housing, you know, we help them find jobs. Um, you help their kids get enrolled in school here. Help them, you know, get go to health appointments and that sort of thing. Um, and I'm just really excited to be here as a part of Spark and seeing you guys, um, your heart to step in. Because um, we kind of provide these basic essentials for them, you know, getting them uh, here and everything that they need. Um, but there's an extra step that um, I'm excited that Spark um, is, you know, has a heart for, kind of through mentorship or partnering together and um, inviting them into the community here. Um, so, the, you know, we offer things like we have the, uh, this dinner coming up called Tapestry Summer uh, Suppers. And um, within that, that we are inviting um, about 15 refugees, and there's you know, another 15 spots for community members, just so you can meet and talk to different refugees and kind of get a feel for who they are, um, which I think is an important step. You know, we can, um, you know, it's one thing to watch everything on the news and finding out what's happening, but to be able to talk to someone and hear their stories um, takes it to a different level. Um, and we also have, um, 
new thing coming up um, that uh, we haven't quite launched. It'll be launching in the next couple of months, um, but a new program called Home that uh, groups and communities can get involved in. Um, it stands for Housing Outreach Mentorship and Education. Um, so basically, you know, new groups would come together, help, you know, come with me or something to the airport, um, meet the families at the airport, and then um, provide <laughs> mentorship and um, just come around them, you know, if the, you know, kids need homework support or those kind of things. There's just a lot of ways to get involved. Um, so if you guys are interested in any of these things, let me know. And um, yeah, I'll uh, be happy to talk more. Thank you, Ruth, so much. And our rescue team will be continuing to talk and meet with Ruth as well. Um, so basically, the, the hope and opportunity is that we as a church will be able to say, hey, there's a family coming in. Let's find ways to love on them, right? So it's not, you can imagine uh, be coming from a situation where you need that type of rescue and then coming into a community where you're learning language and just which way is north and south and how to get around to not only just find a place to live, but also to find a friend would be really hopeful, right? So uh, we'll find ways to continue to reach into that community. Uh, with that, we have one more thing about the books. Go ahead. Oh, yeah. So there's books in the back, um, both mine and Lindsay's. Um, if you would like one, um, if you want to either, so we're donating all the proceeds to the IRC. Um, so if you wanted to either, I guess you could leave cash. I'll make sure it gets to them. You could write a check directly to the International Rescue Committee. Um, I can also make sure that gets to them. Or if you don't have your cash checkbook or cash, um, go ahead and make a donation online when you get home. I think it's rescue.org is the yeah. website. Is that, okay. That's and great. Thank you. Go ahead. Also, because um, Kelly's books are all printed, but mine are not. So I do have a couple of the Madeline Langle books that I've written study guides for back there. So same thing applies there. But if you're interested in um, a future copy of my book, I have a sign-up sheet back there. I can give away five um, advanced reader copies, which will be coming out like this fall or maybe early next year. And then final copies, I have a spot for five of those that I could also give if you wanted to donate. So write your name under whichever one you'd want. The advanced reader copies won't be hardback, but they'll be coming sooner. And the final copies won't be till fall of 2019. And that is all that I know. But and I, they're so, it's so good, you guys. It's so good. You totally want But if you put them. your name and email, I really will get it to you when those, those come around. <laughs> Thank you both so much for sharing your gifts and talents and thoughts and abilities with the world at large and also with Spark specifically for being part of our church community here. It is such a deep privilege and gift to walk this road with you both. And I want to thank all of you. And anytime you want to come tell us about your work, please come do so. God bless you guys. Have a great week. Amen.